Sometimes the details in the book of Exodus can be rather trying. And when you see uh, things in there like measurements, or if you see uh, colors, you see robes, you go, okay, that's all well and fine, but what does that mean to my life? Well, if you're reading Scripture just to get out what you want for your life, you're reading it wrongly. (laughs) Because the Word of God first of all, should take us to His greatness. We should see the person of Christ. We should see His holiness and majesty and supremacy and excellency in everything that we read. We want to see who God is, right? We're not here for our own felt needs, although there is application that has to be put forth, but it all starts with seeing the person of Christ, this great God. So even in this chapter, we're going to attempt... And I feel frail uh, and weak whenever I open God's words because of the power that's there. And I'm afraid that I'm not going to be able to read it or understand it, interpret it, and be able to bring it forth to you guys the way that it should be. And I'm fearful before God because His Word is so mighty. And so I want this Word to go out and, and speak to us. And we'll pray that God's Spirit will be blessing us and we'll uh, see uh, what His Word is meaning here. Well, in chapter 25, we started a new section. It's the last section, really, of Exodus. Uh, And it's all about the tabernacle, which is really all about Jesus Christ. focuses on the worship of God. You guys like worship, right? Well, that's what this is. The central theme is is the presence of God. And He wants to be in the presence of His people in a more visible way than they've ever had before. And we see that to God, worship is so important. And, and, and the worship where God's people come together is the peak time of the week, isn't it? I mean, that's the sunum bonum. In Exodus 25 eight says, and let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell among them. He wants a sanctuary. He wants a tabernacle. He wants to be present uh, amongst the people so he could dwell with these people. That's, that's his whole idea here. Uh, he has certainly taken up his dwelling in this uh, area right in the middle of the camp. He's going to have a tent, a big tent with a fence around it, and people are going to come there to worship. What a great illustration of the work and person of Jesus Christ when we look at these chapters. Uh, It's the fulfillment. Christ is the fulfillment of what a tabernacle is all about. All the articles that are there, they fulfill uh, who Christ... I mean, He fulfills what they are, what they stand for, the very symbolism there. So we're we're in a section of Exodus that just focuses on the form of worship and allows the people to engage in worship, to actually do worship with God being present. They don't see Him literally, but they know He is there. Uh, Very uh, true to uh, His nature. He uh, has His presence there. This is going to take up a third of the book that we've been reading. A third. There has to be something here that 
really God is trying to get the attention to. He wants to make sure that they know the details, that they follow the details, that they follow His Word explicitly. Don't change it. Don't add to it. And, and they'll be tempted to do that, to kind of help Him out. <laughs> they don't have to do that, do they? We've looked at the coverings of the tabernacle. We've looked at um, the lampstand, the brazen altar, um, the, the table uh, with the showbread, the courts. We've looked at all that. And uh, we've now arrived at this chapter 28. And it's going to feature clothing. And I know the ladies are going to get excited about this. Because you guys love to go shop for clothes, right? Eh, maybe, maybe not. But um, we'll see the details on this. You say, oh, wow. Somebody asked, what did you guys do at worship today? Well, we studied about clothes. You know, <laughs> clothes. You know, how is that going to focus on the worship and Jesus Christ? Well, that's what we're going to attempt to do. And like I say, I never apologize for God's Word. All you have to do is open it up and let the lion roar. You know, <laughs> no matter how weak I might be able to put it out, it's the power of God and He's speaking here. And whenever He brings something out, I believe as it is inspired, there is richness in this area. I think the depth here is incredible. And so as we open up our Bibles, we, uh, I think, can be blessed out of this section. Glean some precious, valuable truths that the Lord has for us. Above all, I want, I want you to catch this. The glory and the, and the beauty that we're going to see here. You may not be able to see it visually. We'll have some visuals to put up, but there's only so much we can do with that. But there's something more behind that. The glory and supremacy of Christ is proclaimed in this chapter that we look at today. Now, I hope that's not even different than last week or the week before or the year before or the year before that because that's what we're here for, the glory and the beauty of Christ, right? But it's real explicit in this section. The priest's garments will allow us to see the richness, the beauty of Jesus. So we're going to study this together. And let's open up our Bibles. you have your Bibles? Let's open them up to Exodus chapter 28 to see if we can find this beauty that we're speaking about here in this priestly ministry and the garments. Jesus is our high priest. But did you know, we have to think about this, we too are priests. He's the high priest, but we are priests. Now, there are a lot of verses in this chapter, chapter 28. If you'll excuse me, uh, some of the verses we might just uh, lightly go over. Again, this is going to be a lot of homework. But we're going to read some of this, uh, starting at verse 1. Now take Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as priest. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, take note of those two names, Eleazar and Ithamar, and you shall make holy garments. Now I'm accenting that. Holy garments. You can underline that if you like. For Aaron, your brother. And here is one you want to underline two times. Or three or four or five. Or circle it. Put it yellow on it. I don't care what you want to do. But let this stick out in your mind. For glory and for beauty. There is what we're talking about right there. That highlights 
the whole chapter. He says these garments that's going to be put on the priest are for glory and for beauty. We'll keep on reading on through the first four verses. Here. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled. You notice there is focused on God, right? Those artisans, they're going to make this, but I have filled with the spirit of wisdom that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. So this shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, that he may minister to me as a priest. Okay. The uh, first thing that I uh, want to bring forth here, you guys get this every week. You get it every Monday night. We just talk about it constantly. It just seems like I'm jamming it down our throats. But God is a God of sovereign grace. And the first thing I see here is that He's the one that chooses the priest. They don't have anything to do with choosing to be priests. They didn't elect to be priests. They didn't go to seminary. They didn't go to college. They didn't go to high school. They weren't ready for the priesthood. They didn't know anything about a priesthood. They weren't looking for this to happen. And God chooses a bunch of people to be serving Him in the tabernacle. And you say, hey, I need some volunteers, right? No, he doesn't do it that way. He chooses who he wants. So there we go again. They don't appoint themselves. We did not choose God, but he chose us, right? John 15, uh, dealing with the disciples. We did not choose God. God chose us. That's, that's, they knew that. God chose who these priests are going to be. It's in His plan. It's in His good pleasure to carry out His will the way that He wants. Now, this is what He did with Abraham. Out of nowhere, God came to Abram. He did the same thing with Moses. He did the same thing with the nation of Israel. You look at any of the people in the Old Testament, you'll see God is the one who chose them. He chose a particular line. And you get to the New Testament, He does the same thing. The apostles. He chose the apostles. He chose Paul. He chose everyone that are in his family. Each and every person, he's the one that does it. Okay, moving on. Okay, you got got a little bit of sovereign grace there, right? Okay. That's what the book of Exodus is really focusing on. You notice that? It's about the sovereignty of God. All right. Um, You have... Aaron and his sons, and as a matter of fact, you have a whole tribe of Levi who are going to be involved in doing the Levitical priesthood. They're all going to play a huge part in leading people into worship God in the way that God wants. They're going to be playing a huge part with sacrifices. So, the tabernacle is going to have representation And it's going to be a group of people who God has chosen to represent the rest of the people who can't go into the tabernacle after the brazen altar. Did we do the brazen altar last week? Okay. Of course, that represents the cross, right? That's the sacrifice. They can't go any further. That's it. Now, as one looks at this chapter, minute details, but there's some serious instructions here. He has great care in ordering how those garments are going to be made, how they're going to be dressed. Even the underwear that the priest will have, God has designed specifically. I mean, every detail 
This is is going to stress how important the worship of God is. I know you're thinking about what I just said about that one piece of the underwear. And you say, where's that in there? Well, I'm not going to tell you, but it's in chapter 28. And if you hang on long enough, if you hang around to the end, you'll probably find out. You say, why would that be? Because I know the Mormons do that. They have their holy garments, holy underwear. It's probably based on this. They never take it off. You know, you've heard of those kind of things. But there's something to this. God is very detailed. Very detailed. It's, and it's all on His own terms. Does one ever approach God on their own terms? Just add a little bit of extra things? We can't do that, can we? He, uh, he says we are to obey His will, His instructions. I think sometimes we become so concerned with our own comfort, our own personal preferences, that sometimes we tend to push ourselves and what we think and forget to reverence Him. And so it's not about us, our preferences, is it? It's about worshiping God. For His good pleasure, not our own pleasure. But as a result of that, pleasure does come out of it, doesn't it? His Word is what we focus, focus on when we, uh, when we worship. Um, we want to obey. He tells how to approach Him. He tells the way to approach Him. And He alone makes it possible to approach Him, doesn't He? He's the one that allows us, that has put us in the sense that we can approach Him. Now, they are to minister to God. And did you notice that we've already seen it two times in this section that they are to minister to God, these priests, at the end of verse 3, that He may minister to me as priest, Aaron. And right at the end of verse 5, so they should make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons, that he may minister to me as priest. That he may minister. That he may serve. To serve God. Uh, The first obligation is to please the Lord in serving. The servant's most important obligation starts with loving God. We love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And out of that love that we have for Him, that He has incidentally given to us, out of that love, do you know what happens? That's when we serve Him. We worship Him first, and then we serve Him. It does not start with serving and then worshiping. Regardless of how much that is taught today, I was raised up that way. You serve God and then worship. I think they're getting worship confused with the Sunday worship, the Sunday morning worship. Well, that's very important. And that is a part of it. But worship is all day, everything. It's loving God. It's pursuing Him. It's seeking Him. It starts with that. And out of that flows our works, our serving. And so that's, that's what the idea is here. Uh, part of pleasing the Lord now, in this case here, is wearing those priestly garments. <laughs> which they've never done before. This is all new to them, too. Okay, it says Levi and Aaron are involved here. Um, we know Aaron is the brother of, of uh, Moses. And this is an old covenant priesthood that's being established. This is old covenant, right? It comes out of the tribe of Levi. Aaron is involved. So that Levitical priesthood or that tribe was the source of all the priests. 
if you were from the tribe of Judah, tribe of Benjamin, or any of the other tribes, could you be a priest? No. Yeah, but I want to serve God. I'm called to do that. Tough luck. <laughs> no luck involved, right? But you cannot do it unless you're from that tribe of Levi. That's the only, only way. Well, what if I'm a king? I want to do that. Well, we know what happens when a king tries to go uh, sacrifice before God. That's disobedience. So the question is how can our ultimate high priest, that's Jesus Christ, he is from the tribe of what? Judah. And that's the kingly line. David, right? And on down, okay, he is the king. But how can Jesus, the great high priest, be a priest? He's from Judah. He's not from Levi. He's not from that family of Aaron in that sense or in that line because he's from the tribe of Judah. Well, the new covenant priesthood was descended from Judah, though, and Melchizedek. Go to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 14 through 17. It's not Aaron and Levi, even though that was the picture, the illustration that was something greater to come. He worked through Levi, but he's going to work through Judah for the priest and the king. Have you ever heard of the offices of Christ? The priest, the king, he's also known as a prophet. Well, these are two things that we have to think of when we think of Christ that we're, we're thinking today. Here's the king, here's the priest. And he can do that. Hebrews 7, verse 14. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. Well, that's true, right? Yeah. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there rises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek didn't come from the nation of Israel. He was concurrent. He was contemporary with Abram. Abram came and worshipped at Melchizedek's place at Salem, where later there would be Jerusalem. But there wasn't anything like that yet. But there was a Melchizedek in that area who worshipped the Lord Most High, El Elyon. And that is the line that uh, Jesus would be coming from in the sense that a priest forever. Melchizedek didn't have a line. Jesus didn't have that line as far as that's concerned. It's one that is from forever. So that's why he can be a priest. A different order. All that in the Old Testament, it's a reality. I mean, I mean it's a picture of the reality. It's real, but the reality is Jesus Christ. And it's pointing to that. There's a physical requirement and it's, it's met and spiritually. Christ's priesthood was superior to the Aaronic priesthood. That's what we're studying about here as it's being set up and the clothes that they wore and everything. Jesus is, is permanent and it's forever. Much more superior. Now, we go to verse 2 and you're going, how are we going to get through chapter 28 of Exodus? Well, I got till about 4 o'clock today. <laughs> 
We just worship all day. <laughs> okay, verse 2. The holy garments are appointed by God. Why is that? Well, easy. To reflect the beauty of God. Really. These clothes are from the finest of material, were very expensive. Think of the greatest department store you can think of. It's got to be pennies, right? Pennies, they have all the finest material, all the finest clothes. Uh, <laughs> she's shaking her head. You guys know Ashley works at pennies, right? So, yeah. uh, but anyway, where you can get the finest, fantastic, most expensive clothes? Ornate, tremendously beautiful. God wanted tabernacle worship to reflect the beauty of who He was. The glory and the beauty. That's the words that are used in verse 2. Holy garments for Aaron your brother, for glory and for beauty. What is the word holy? Set apart. We, we sang songs, we prayed this morning about the holiness of God, right? Holy, holy, holy. Set apart. He is not only pure, He's set apart, He's transcendent. That's what these garments are going to be. They're set apart. What God does. This is teaching what God is like. They can see visually what God is like through these clothes, through all those articles, the lampstand, the showbread, and everything that's in the tabernacle. Listen to this. The glory of God is the manifestation of His holiness. Can I say that again? The glory of God. And that's what we're talking about here beauty and, and glory. The glory of God is the manifestation of His holiness, His inwardness. How do we see God's holiness? See it through His glory. Well, how do you see God's glory? It's all over the pages of the Word of God, isn't it? There, they could see visually. They didn't have the Word of God. They didn't have a Bible where they go into their own tents at, at night and start reading. It's, it, but it's being written by one who's leading them. That's Moses. <laughs> Moses is teaching them through these kind of things. They were so ornate. There was a splendor about these priestly clothes. I want you to grab this because I was thinking uh, earlier this week, how can I bring this forth? What, what's going on here? You read and read through the text and say, okay, but you see those two words, glory and beauty, and all of a sudden it just starts standing out. There was a man 200 years before the person of Christ wrote about what the priestly clothes were about. I just got a sentence or two. Listen to this. He said this, Their appearance makes one awestruck and dumbfounded. Now that's pretty incredible, right? The appearance to look at those clothes, they struck me with awe. I got dumbfounded. And he went on to say this, A man would think he had come out of this world into another one. Wow! I assert that every man who comes near the spectacle I just described will experience astonishment and amazement beyond any words. Now that's what a guy wrote 200 years before Christ about the priest's clothes. There must be something to this. Not just because what he wrote, but what's in here. But letting that enlighten us a little bit about this glory that's going on here. When those people looked at those priests, they had to go, wow, 
That is something. You know, something like that, only it had to be really striking in, in person when you, when you look at that. Whenever I've watched Zola Levitt before, that, that looked very similar to that. And Zola Levitt has taught on the tabernacle, the priest clothes. He, he was very good at that. And uh, so, yeah, pretty close. You know, you, you really can't say anything. Your mouth just drops open when you see all these priests ministering in there and the high priest wearing those majestic clothes. Those clothes reflected who God is. Remember, we have the great high priest. That's the reason we went to that in Hebrews. Be thinking on Christ here because what's really happening? You're not so awed by material here, but what it really stands for, it's Christ. God puts His glory on display. In this sense, they're seeing a little bit of it. When we have the Lord's Supper, for instance, you see, you see things there, you feel, you, you touch, you taste. Um, your senses come into contact. And God is talking baby talk with us. He wants us to know who He is so He gets on our level. He gives us some illustrations. So they're set apart from the common. They signified a heart consecrated. That's what these priests are. That's what these clothes are. Set apart to God. God expects His people to set apart everything they have to Him. Right? Even the clothes. Even the water we drink, the food we eat. You know, all things for the glory of God, right? That's what it's about. It's, the beauty of holiness is incredible here. The, the priests are to be clothed in a manner that prepares them to minister, to serve, to worship. And so that's why we say to minister to me is found five times in chapter 28 and 29. And we're doing 28 today. 29 is next week and it's still going to be dealing with the priesthood. But uh, to minister to the people. One has to minister to the Lord first. Worship Him. Minister Him. Now they're clothed in righteousness. Priests are a picture of what righteousness is. When people would look at them, your regular priest would just have like four pieces of garments where the high priest had like seven. They had linen and it was white linen it was plain, but it represented purity. It represented righteousness. So not only was the priest to be clothed ritually, doing his rituals, but he was to be clothed in righteousness. That means his life was to be lived out in a way that would show the glory of God through his righteous living as they would look at his righteous clothes. Go to Psalm 132, verse 9. Psalm 132, verse 9. Let your priest be clothed with righteousness. And let your saints shout for joy. Righteousness. Joy. Right? You have Christ's righteousness. You have Christ's joy. Okay. The regular priest, four distinctive garments, 
seven on the high priest. No sandals, no shoes are mentioned here. They would serve in their bare feet with their long robes. You remember that Moses, whenever he heard God talking from the burning bush, and he said, Take off your sandals. Take off your shoes, for this is holy ground. So as you walk in that dirt, there on that desert floor, you'll recognize that man was made from dirt. Right? The high priest was very beautiful as one would look upon him. The high priest wore gold. Now think about this. The pictures can't really bring this forth. We're talking gold. Real, pure gold. They wore jewels on them. Matter of fact, 12 of them. Right on their chest here. With colors of gold and colors of purple and scarlet. You couldn't miss them. If you just happened to be walking into the tabernacle and you saw this high priest, you whoa, with the sun shining on there and hitting the gold, this incredible thing. Now, from verse 5 through verse 30, back to Exodus, I spent most of my time on that one section because it's really dealing with the glory and beauty of the Lord. And we want to stress that because that's really what the chapter is about. From 5 through 30, we start to see some parts of this. I'll read a little bit of it. They shall take the gold. Remember I said gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and the fine linen, the best. This is the best. And they shall make the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen, artistically worked. God gives talent to each one of us. To the priest, He gave exactly there were clothes that he needed and there had to be people to make this. God just didn't say, okay, catch this. These are your robes. Put them on. I've already got them made. No, they have to make them. They have to do it down to the detail the way he made it. And he equipped certain people to be able to do what they did. And he gives talent. He gives gifts to everyone, doesn't he? For they're able to do what they do. And some people can't make any priest garments. They say, I'd like to make that. And they start to make it. And they're not an artisan. We're not, we're not accepting that. <laughs> it has to be perfect. God equips His people. And uh, so, anyway, this whole ephod is very significant. Um, very, very significant. In, in the fact that... And it's not so much fabric and colors. I've already said that. But you have the six tribes that are, uh, I say six, that are put on one side, six on, an, uh, on another. And you have an onyx stone, and then you have another onyx stone. You have the six tribes here, six tribes on that stone, and they're put on the shoulder straps. And whenever the high priest would wear his special robes in, what he was doing was carrying the people on his shoulders. No, shoulder straps. He's carrying the people. That's representation That's what he's doing. That would remind them, oh, look at that stone there. That's my tribe. That's me. He's taking me in there, like the Day of Atonement. He's going all the way into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. And he's taking me in there. That's representing, right? Uh, He's serving. He's serving the people. Look in Luke 22, 27. 
22-27, Luke. What's this have to do with the priest? Well, look. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. Give you one guess. Who's speaking there? Jesus. You have words of Christ in red, right? Well, I don't. Mine's in black. But anyway, what's happening here? He's saying, well, usually the person who's being served is the greater one. He says, uh, I want to tell you something. I'm the greater one, but I'm the one serving. You're never too good to serve people. You're never too good. Because Christ did it, didn't He? The high priest, the priest, they're serving the people as they do their duty. Got a little practical lesson in there, right? The twelve tribes, jewels, uh, you have on the stones, they're very precious in the sight of God. He sees the beauty there. Now, so, what we talk about here is this representation. He's carrying them in on His shoulders. He was called to serve His people. The priests are mediators. Now look at 28, Exodus 28, verses 9 through 12. Then you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Twelve tribes. Six of their names on one stone and six names on the other stone in order of their birth. With the work of an engraver in stone. Now here comes another artisan, another guy who has all sorts of skills. Like the engravings of a signet. You shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall set them in settings of gold. And you shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. So Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial. So he kind of says it again just in case they missed it. You shall also make settings of gold and you shall make two chains of pure gold like braided cords and fasten the braided chains to the settings. Incredible things that God is using here. The people, I want you to catch this, enter into the tabernacle and even into the Holy of Holies when the priests enter. Now, their bodies are physically standing outside, but they're going in there because they're being represented. Now, what does that mean to you if we take this to New Testament? Fulfillment. Our high priest went to the cross as a priest and a sacrifice, bore our sins on himself, on his shoulders, and our sins were taken away. He gave the righteousness to us. That's incredible, isn't it? The people don't get to look back and see that as we do. We see it in its fullness as much as we can now. We still see in a glass dimly. <laughs> God is still giving us little teaching tools. One day we will see Him as He is. So they're seeing in a glass dimly here, but they're entering in by the representation of a priest. We didn't go to the cross either, right? But we were in Adam at one time, as Romans 5 says. And when we became believers in Christ, 
we were in Christ. Somehow, some way, we died with Christ at the cross because He represented us. I don't know how that is. It's mystery. But somehow I died with Him. You died with Him. You went to that cross in that sense. Your sins went there and were cast away. So to enjoy the presence of God, you need a mediator before God. The people had to have a mediator to go in and do that daily sacrificing and working and trimming the, the, the or lighting the lamp and uh, keeping the bread there every week. It's not self-service here at this tabernacle. You just don't show up when you want and then walk into the tabernacle and start doing a thing and then go back to the Holy of Holies. This is no self-service here. This is not one of those kind of things. Uh, you're getting the service by the priest. The priests go before you in the tabernacle. You went into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies in and through and only in and through that high priest. That's the only way that it worked. He was you going into the presence of God. If you were that Jew. Now related to us, we relate to what Christ did. Now, that's the ephod. Now we go to the breastplate. Now this is a beautifully embroidered fabric. Hangs on a high priest's chest. There's 12 jewels there, each one representing a respective tribe. The stones were close to the heart. You have the shoulders, you have the heart. Carried the people. The priest carried the people over his heart. Go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 7, and you get one who is ministering that one by the name of Paul, and boy, did he have a love for his people. And it's right like this. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. I have you on my heart, in my heart. Paul, whenever he ministered, he was a people person. And he loved everyone brought to Christ. His brothers and sisters. He loved them so much. And he says this to the Philippians, I have you in my heart. That's what the priests did. We are priests. We are to have people that are brothers and sisters in Christ in our heart. Right? Wow. So much going on here. God's people enjoy His presence because of the priestly representation and the priestly sacrifice. Now, there's a lot of stones. A variety of stones on the breastplate suggests a variety of people. You have all sorts of different kinds of people and they are wired differently. All of them are precious to God. Each of their tribes even had their own personality and their own kind of outlook. So, different colors. They're all individual. There's not one repeating another. They're all different. And the best of the stones that could be. The best of gold in the tabernacle. The best of silver and the bronze. The best metals. The best fabrics. The best of everything is used at this tabernacle to represent the glory and beauty of God. So they could see this. Now there's the Urim and the Thummim. If we were to you know, look at that and go, what's that? Well, it's how they were to um, find out the will of God. 
If you want to go to Numbers, just a couple of books over. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers chapter 27, verse 21. He shall stand, when somebody's looking for uh, will of God here. Uh, he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall inquire before the Lord for him by the judgment of the Urim. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, he and all the children of Israel with him, all the congregation. So there's the high priest, the Urim and the Thummim. And um, that was to discover God's will. And it would be taken at that time. We, uh, we don't have some, uh, anything like that today that would make it really easy. I'm going to know God's will and just, boom, get your answer like that. But we do have the Word of God in its completeness. And we can go to that Word of God anytime we want. God's will and direction. And you think of Psalm 119, 105. Uh, is that uh, thy word? Have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against thee? Is that the one? Uh, I might, you know what? I think I'm taking the, the wrong one there. 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. There we go. That's the one. That's the great memory verse. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's how I know your direction, your will, God. Okay, well, uh, if we were to take 15 through 30, that Urim and Thummim was found in verse uh, 30. At the end of verse 30, let's read verse 30. And you shall put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. That's just what we were talking about. As he uh, bore the people on, on the shoulders, at the same time he is bearing the people uh, and he's over his heart. Now, 31 through 43 is dealing with serving in the fear of God. And at first you don't see that, but you keep looking and, and we'll see how that works. Um, these are some other priestly garments that are made. Verse 31, You shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue. There shall be an opening for his head in the middle of it. It shall have a woven binding all around its opening like the opening in a coat of mail so that it does not tear. It's one piece. You put it over the head. Let's stop there for a moment. I think that's interesting. Go to John chapter 19, verse 23. Don't want to read into the text here and make it say something that it's not. But it's worth thinking about. Jesus was being made fun of whenever He was going to be crucified. And you had the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, who really don't know who He is. And so they're casting insults. And they're doing all sorts of things to him. In uh, verse 23, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart, and also the tunic. And it says right after that, Now the tunic was, a, was without seam, woven, woven from the top in one piece. And you say, what's going on here? What does this have to do with this? Well, they put on his back and shoulders. Remember there was a purple robe. They had done that. And there they are now. They're taking that and um, 
they're dividing his garments and they're casting lots for that. Well, somehow they got this purple robe and as they're mocking him, we see later as he has been crucified that around uh, what had been put on him was like a scarlet robe. And it's something that reminds you of that kind of robe that the priest would wear. Jesus being the priest. And it's interesting that it would say here, now that tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. Could be that it's making a statement there about like what a, a priest would have. The persecutors of Christ put on him a royal garment of a high priest for his people. He was the priest, wasn't he? Uh, next thing is pomegranates. Now, that's a hot item today. You get it in all sorts of lotions and uh, different things that have a nice smell. Really, it's really nice. Pomegranates. It's a biblical fruit. <laughs> I think they all are, aren't they? Uh, anyway, the best of the best. These pomegranates must have not been cheap back then either. You know? um, upon its hymn, you shall make pomegranates of blue purple and scarlet all around its hem. So, as it reached the floor, you're going to have pomegranates there that are on it. Um, it's drawings or whatever. But what, what's that signifying? Well, fruitfulness. That was something that the people would love to have. Nice to have. Tastes good. Smells good. Another thing that he'd have is bells of gold. Even the little bells at the end of the robe that would almost hit the floor, right at the floor, bells of gold. Of gold. Gold everywhere, isn't it? The, this would be the sense that he was to be faithful. He was to do his duty. When he'd go into the Holy of Holies, he was to go in there and he was to do his job and get right back out. He's not to linger in there. This is a place of holiness and he just can't stay. He's got to do what he does and gets out of there. If he were to hang around, you know what God might do to him? He might kill him. Or what would happen if he were, he were to die in that holy of holies? Well, nobody else can go in there. So, how are you going to get him out? Right? Well, if you have those bells and you keep hearing the bells ring in there, it's okay. But if the bells stop and you don't hear anything for a little bit, there is a major problem. You better do as God says, right? Well, that somebody would have to come where that altar of incense is at, where that veil is at, and pull him out by the feet. However, or however they can. They can't go in there, but they've got to be able to pull him out. So they'd know if the bells stop, uh, we've got to get him out of there. Yeah, look at verse 35. And it shall be upon Aaron when he ministers, and its sound will be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord. And when he comes out, that he may not die. wants to make sure that that sound is continuing to, to go. That's the reason I said that. There it is there. We don't want him to die in there. That's funny that he had mentioned that. See, we're talking about a holy place. We're talking about a place that God really takes seriously. And when His holiness is not taken seriously, people die. And you know later on, that's what's going to happen out in the wilderness. Even with Aaron's sons. 
They're mentioned in Exodus 28. Nadab and Abihu, remember those fellows? They didn't do as God said and had some strange fire going in there. God just took them out. And then you have the ark falling off the cart, which it shouldn't have been anyway. And a nice guy does a nice duty and God strikes him dead. God does that. In the book of Acts, you have a couple that lied to the Holy Spirit right in the very early days of the church. You think God would just kind of, okay, let's just kind of look over this. No, He took both of them out too. He still does those things today. We may not know the reason or what's going on, but God still does that. Because His holiness is still serious as it was then. You say, boy, that's, that's awful stringent, isn't He? Well, it may seem like that to us, but when you think about how God is, and as far as His Word is concerned and how He wants things, it is very serious. So the priestly walk must be fruitful, the pomegranates, and faithful as he does his work faithfully with his bells. That means he's always giving witness when he's serving the Lord with integrity. He's always giving a witness. Now the turban. What about the turban? Verse 36. You shall also make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet. Do you have capital letters here? Do you have a section in your Bible where you have great big capital letters in bold black set apart from verse 36 and verse 37? It's in verse 36. Do you have holiness to the Lord? Do you have that there? Does everyone have that? Well, if you don't, your Bible's not inspired. No, just kidding. (laughs) I think there's an accent here, though. I think it's saying some of one of the most important things that there ever could be. You know the reason why our ministry exists? Our whole ministry at Grace Community Church, and I would hope any church would be this. I think of anything, we'll keep our model really simple. It's about the holiness of God. That sends kind of chills down my back because I know that He's holy and I am to be holy, but I fall short of that holiness. He is so holy and He takes it so seriously that whatever He does, we have to be in absolute agreement. And if we fall short of that, we know that He is right and whatever. So that's what they're really trying to bring this forth. The holiness is seen by His glory. His holiness is manifested by His glory. As we see the glory of these priest garments, are you catching this? That's what we're really trying to bring forth. As you see this, you're trying to visually put this in your mind. Who knows how striking it must have been, but it must have been glorious. This is all about Christ, and then it says right here on the turban. When you see that high priest, and when you see that pure gold, and can you imagine the sun just gleaming on a pure gold, and they're inscribed on there by an artisan who did it perfectly, holiness to 
to the Lord. That's what all this is about. Sovereign grace. Reformed theology. It all should be focused on the fact about the holiness of God. R.C. Sproul, who has written a book on that and has spoke about it so much, has focused his whole ministry in the time that we live in amongst a very, very weak church who does not take the seriousness of the holiness of God. And that's what his whole ministry is about. To exposit the holiness of God in every aspect. All the way down from the head to the feet. Do we really take Him seriously? Do we take His Word seriously? Let it speak to us, right? So there we have it in verse 36. He says, You put it on a blue cord that it may be on the turban. It shall be on the front of the turban. So it shall be on Aaron's forehead. Nobody's going to miss it. That Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel howl in all their holy gifts. And it shall always be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. can't miss it. There's the high priest. It's always on his forehead. Holiness to the Lord. Should that ever be on our minds? I think of another section that has great big words and black bold letters set apart from the rest of the verses. And it's when Christ comes back and says He has on His robe and on His thigh a name written, What? King of kings and Lord of lords. Holiness to the Lord. Verse 39, You shall skillfully weave the tunic of fine linen thread. You shall make the turban of fine linen. You shall make the sash of woven work. This had to be glorious, folks. By the best. It's the best stuff. The best people making it. For Aaron's son, you shall make tunics and you shall make sashes for them. You shall make hats for them for glory and beauty. So you shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with him. You shall anoint them, consecrate them, set them apart, and sanctify them, set them apart. That why? That they may minister to me as priests. And you shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness. They shall reach from the waist to the thighs. They shall be Aaron and on his sons when they come into the tabernacle of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place that they do not incur iniquity and die. It shall be a statute forever to him and his descendants after him. Do you see why I label this section the fear of the Lord? Holiness. Fear of God as we worship and serve Him. The turban's only worn by the high priest, but the other priests have the hats. Holiness to the Lord. Be ye holy, for I am holy. The Israelites were to be holy. You know the first step to happiness? We're not here to get happy. You're not on earth to be happy people. You say, Dennis, what are you saying? 
Jesus didn't die to make, to, date, to make men happy, but He died to make men holy. What's next? Well, the first step to happiness is what? Holiness. We know true happiness when we have been made holy. You don't, don't seek happiness. Seek the holiness of God and then you'll see what true joy is. That's what He wants. He wants us to be joyful. But seek Him. Seek ye first the things of God and all these things will be added to you. The high priest identified with the sins of the people. This is where we get to this fear. Twice in this section, the priests were warned about they might die if they don't obey the Lord's instructions. Wear the right garments in the right way. They must walk in the fear of the Lord and obey Him. If they don't, if they didn't wash at the labor, every time they would do their sacrifice, they have to, the next thing, the next object is the labor. They go and wash their hands and then they go into the tabernacle. They'd always have to do that. If you didn't do that, you could die. It's representing something more than just physical things. It's talking about obedience. They were to observe clean and unclean lest they die. A warning of death. Oh boy, I don't have enough time. But um, in chapter 28, verse 35, 43, we saw that. Chapter 30, verse 20 and 21. In Leviticus 16, 13. Leviticus 22, 1 through 9. It talks about dying if one is not obedient. The seriousness of this is really incredible. Let's look at Hebrews 12.28. Look at the uh, New Testament fulfillment of that. It says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace. Don't you love that? All of this is just shredded with grace. By which we may serve God. That's how we do it with His grace. Acceptably. We want to serve God acceptably, don't we? With reverence and godly fear. Don't forget the next verse. For our God is a consuming fire. Wow. Serving by His grace. Do it reverently. Uh, It will be done acceptably then. Godly fear. There must be reverence. There must be a godly fear. There must be a spirit-inspired fear of God. And a proper reverence, a proper true reverence of God, a fear of God is what He wants. When we arrive at that, which we should be constantly desiring that, He blesses that. And we can say, Jesus is our great high Priest. Let's say that together. Jesus is our great high priest.